Hello, and welcome back to Black Box Recordings Podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of talking to Elisa Rindance. Elisa is an Air Force veteran who serves as a life coach for transitioning service members. In this episode, we discuss how Elisa helps her clients transition from military to civilian life while discussing what it takes to build a life that works for you. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I don't like to just jump right into things, but I will say thank you. First of all, thanks for being here. Thanks for doing this. Um, I know you're probably sound like a very busy person, so I appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this. Um, for anyone that may be listening, I just, if you want to take a moment, just kind of explain kind of who you are, what you do. Yeah, sure. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me. I appreciate you having me on here. Um, my name's Elisa Rindance. I do life coaching. I focus on personal leadership and life transitions. And I work mostly with women veterans. I live in Colorado and I'm here because of all the things Colorado has to offer. So all of your standard Colorado reasons to be in Colorado. Yeah, That's me. All, all the outdoors <laughs> things and everything that you can yep. do. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So you mentioned you work with military veterans and you yourself, you're a veteran, right? Yeah. So I did five years in the Air Force after graduating from the Air Force Academy in 2009. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. So, and then what did you do when you were in the Air Force? A force support officer. So all of my time was spent basically on the personnel human resources side of things. Okay. Yeah. So did you enjoy that? I enjoyed parts of it. I enjoyed the, the parts where I was directly working with people. But as you can imagine, a lot of it's also paperwork and email. Yeah. That had ups and downs. For sure. I apologize. I did. I'm skipping around a little bit, but I totally forgot to ask you an icebreaker question. Uh-oh. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just getting right into it. But I don't know if you looked at them. Did you get a chance to look at the sheet that I sent you? I did look at that okay. sheet. Which one was your favorite question? We'll do that. I have to ask. So my favorite question was a practical superpower. That one's my favorite. People like that one. Yeah. So did you think about it? I did think about it. And I'm a creature of habit. I eat the same thing for every meal every day uh, just because it's easy. It takes five minutes and then I can move on with my day. So if I had a practical superpower, it would be to have any meal I wanted anytime and for it to be super easy to prepare. (laughs) That's really good. (laughs) I love that. That's really funny. I yeah, mine's lame. I'm always like, I just want to feel like I slept for a while and it's kind of boring, you know? So, but that's, that's key. Good though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm really into food though. I would like it to be, that sounds way better. So I don't know. It's a fun question to ask people. You should really start using it because people get like really wrapped around the axle about it. They're like, oh man, let me think about that. So <laughs> I will say it took me about a week to come up with that answer. <laughs> you know, like I, we can't interview on time. We have to push this back just so I can, <laughs> you can answer. That. Like I don't have an answer yet. <laughs> I also like to ask people what they had for breakfast. That tells you a lot about a person. Like you ask them daily or when you meet like just instead of like how are you yeah that's actually a good question so ask me what i had for breakfast what'd you have for breakfast well at least i'm glad you asked i had a waffle sandwich today that had roast beef and provolone cheese and horseradish and the waffles were the were the buns now i didn't make this myself obviously but <laughs> I was just telling my wife about what I had for breakfast. I was like, it was the craziest thing ever. So it was very applicable to what's happening right now. So yeah. Where do you uh, find something like that? Yeah. It was just really like, 
nerdy coffee shop and we had like all this uh geek type stuff on the on the walls like a bunch of old like movie posters and they were very very hipster and stuff and that was that was what they made was waffle sandwiches so that's where i got that but i'm in savannah right now by the way so okay it's like hipster south it's pretty cool so anyway well if i find myself in savannah i'll be sure to get a waffle sandwich yeah you have to do it for sure so anyway (laughs) so i totally totally derailed the conversation but i did want to at least you know you thought about it and i'm glad i asked you because you got off the interview and been like you know what I thought about that answer for two weeks and I didn't get a chance to even say it. So I would have been super bummed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you're a personnelist in the air force. You did that Mm -hmm. for five years, obviously doing kind of the typical military stuff. And now you, what do you do? You've described, you do a lot of counseling, a lot of, so do you own your own kind of business doing that? Is that your main job now? Yeah. So I have a coaching practice. It's my main job. And I focus on big life transitions and it just so happens that my biggest life transition was the military. So that's the experience I relate to most in my clients. So yeah, so that's how, most of the work that I do. So how many people, if you had to put a number to it, would you say you've, you've counseled and, and helped with that transition from military to civilian life? Good question. Probably 20 at this point. Okay. So that's, that's a good amount. And you said primarily most of them are, are females that mm-hmm. are, that's cool. Do you, have you worked with any men? On I have the women. So I do a group coaching with the women, which is why it's mostly focused towards women because they just share so much in common being one of being a smaller population of the people in the military. They just share such a common experience and it's, it's really helpful to go through that transition with a group of people. All the men that I've worked with is more one-on-one setting. Yeah. And I do want to ask, I mean, no, we're kind of talking about it. When you're in the military, did you find that it was a lot harder to kind of embrace your personality or just be as a female? Is it, do you think in general, that's something that's difficult for women because it's more expected to be a certain way or is that kind of yeah. an appropriate question? <laughs> <But>. No, <laughs> definitely. I, I definitely felt that pressure to be, you know, one of the guys quote unquote. And, and I, I imagine it's the same story for a lot of women, but you feel this pressure to overperform and to quiet certain parts of yourself and be more tough and lock down your emotions and kind of fit that mold of the expected military officer, which isn't necessarily as fun and exciting and outgoing as I normally would be. Yeah, I definitely find this. I mean, just in, in general with the military, it's very much... And not trying to dog it at all, but it feels like you're supposed to kind of check your individuality at the door a little bit and just kind of be cool, calm, collected, and and it kind of fit the same mold. And it's taken me a long time to realize it's okay to have your personality and to embrace that personality. And if you want to, if you're the person like I'm huge into making jokes and doing that type of thing, like that's okay as long as I don't step over a certain line, you know, and, and finding out you know, what I want to do or what I want to, you know, who I want to be like versus trying to mimic my after somebody else. So yeah, I definitely understand what you mean by that. I always joke that if I could go back and do it again, being the age I am now, because I got out when I was 26, right? I was in from 21 to 26. So I was still a kid for all practical purposes when I separated yeah. and the whole time that I was in. So I always joke if I could go back and do it 
with the confidence in myself that I have now, it would be a completely different experience because being that age, I didn't really know who I was. And when you join the military, whether it's Air Force or any other branch, you learn to, like you said, check your individuality at the door and be part of the team, which I totally get for mission accomplishment purposes. You work as a team, you're all one unit. I get that 100%. But there's a part of you that just completely dies, for lack of a better word, and is never developed. And, and if you don't take the time or learn how to stay connected to that creativity, that individuality, then it just never really develops. So did you think that why you were in, and I, I do not want it, I'm not want this to sound like a being hard in the air force. Cause I mean, or the military, no. I love the military, what's done for me. That's not, so I just make that clear. But do you think that while that your time, while you're in that you never really kind of found that side of you or you kind of lost touch with that? And did it take for you getting out to really find the things that you are into and that, that part, that creative side? Yeah, definitely. I, like you said, I don't knock the military at all. I totally understand why things are the way that they are because you got to get the job done and that's the best way to get the job done. Um, and I learned a lot and I did grow a lot. I did lose touch with who I was as an individual. And it took until I separated and really had spent two years as a civilian to get any semblance of an understanding of that personality aspect, that individuality aspect of myself. Yeah. So what was that like separating? Was it pretty much like transitioning, you get a job and did you feel kind of as if you were drifting a, a little bit or without purpose? What, what was that? Cause obviously you, I know what you do now seems very rewarding, but there was some time in between that. Right. Oh so yeah. What was that like? <laughs> uh, there was a four plus years in between that. I like, you know, the feather and Forrest Gump, that yes. was me. <laughs> yeah. Just floating in the wind. Uh-huh. As, yeah. A hundred percent. That was me for four years. Uh, I, so when I decided to separate, I was actually deployed. I knew that I was going to do five years and get out. I knew that that was my plan. It just so happened that I put in my separation application or whatever you call it when I was deployed. So as soon as I got back from deployment, it was basically come back, do R and R out process, and then be on terminal leave. So my plan, because I had no idea what I wanted to do, was to take a year off and figure it out. And the timing worked out well, because after that deployment, like financially, that made sense. And I had the capacity to take the time to figure it out. So I would tell people when they asked what was next, oh, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to figure it out. I'm just going to work part time, have fun, and we'll see what happens from there. And everyone that I told that to looked at me like I was nuts, like I was crazy. They were like, well, what are you going to do about a uh, retirement plan and health insurance and, and X, Y, and Z and had all these reasons why it was a bad idea. So I ended up before my week in TAP was even over, I had accepted a job and I started that job before my terminal leave even ended. So my whole plan went totally out the window and I lasted in that job for about five months. And, uh, to back up a little bit, I separated when I was stationed in Monterey and the job I took was in San Jose. So about an hour north of Monterey. So I would come back to Monterey all the time on the weekends because my friends were still there. And every weekend, they probably hated me for it. I would just come back and complain about my job and come back and complain about my job. And a friend of mine, he said, dude, like, you're not in the military anymore. 
you can quit your job if it sucks that bad. <laughs> and that was the first time I had, I realized that like, oh, I have permission to do whatever I want. It's my life. That was the first time that I really realized that. Yeah. It's so that experience really helped you, I'm sure, just understand like you get one chance and you might, you should do what you enjoy for sure. Mm -hmm. So I know that's something that I've ever heard of the book range by any chance, but I have not, we'll talk about it later. But, (laughs) (laughs) but one of the things that the, the author mentions is that is having too much grit and having too much, Hey, can do attitude and committing to something because that you hate Mm. because you're worried of what it's like to accept that you don't like something or quit something, even though it's the worst thing you do. And I think a lot of people do that, not, you know, just all over and every, any type of job, they do something and they say, well, I'm already here. I might as well keep just doing this. And you're like, well, mm-hmm. do you like it? And you're like, no, <laughs> no, I hate what I do. And you're like, well, why don't you do something else? Like, well, it's a job. And so it is, it's dangerous. I mean, I can see how many people rush into, you get an offer for something, it's decent money, it's in the same area you're already in, and before you even know if it's what you want to do, you accept it. And But I, I will say I'm a little disappointed. I was about to ask you about your gap year because that sounded awesome. I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> I ended up taking it in in bits and pieces here and there, yeah. um, even though it didn't work out that first time yeah. around. Uh, I did. I guess I kind of went through with it in, in some form and fashion, but I – when I quit that job, I moved down to San Jose or I moved from San Jose down to Orange County and I had no plan. So I got down there and really spent like three or four months just laying by the pool, going to the beach, just hanging out in California. So it wasn't a whole year, but it did give me some direction and some clarity. For sure. So what was kind of the turning moment that helped you? I mean, that was a big one, but pushed you even further to find out what you really wanted to do and become a career coach. Yeah. So when I moved down to Orange County, I ended up coaching in CrossFit and weightlifting and and doing strength training and that type of work. So I did that for about two years down there before I moved back here to Colorado. And when I moved here, I became a financial advisor. Oh, no way. For you. It's like a total 180 uh, for Northwestern Mutual. Okay. Um, But I knew at that point that I wanted to stay in coaching, but I didn't love the athletics aspect of it. I loved guiding people. I loved supporting people. I didn't love coaching sports. Just really didn't do it for me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so anyway, I became a financial advisor and about four months into that job, I took a month off and went to Bali. And that's where I had my total like white girl spiritual awakening moment where I, where I realized I don't care about money. And I am working as a financial advisor. This makes no sense. Like money is not something that I value, but I spend all day talking to people about it and I drive myself crazy doing it. Yeah. And it was one of, Bali is a really cool country or island part of Indonesia because everyone there is just so generous and they're all so connected. Like the families are very close. The communities are very close. They have what they work for and they work for what they have and they share it with anybody and everybody. And so for me, that was really eye-opening because one of our hosts, he said, you know, I was explaining to him the dilemma I was having in my life and how I wasn't enjoying my job. And he had spent 
a couple of years over here in the States, he worked at the ski resorts here in Colorado in the winter. And then he worked at the Outer Banks in the summer, made a bunch of money, went back home, built an Airbnb on his family's property. And then he hosts visitors and people traveling through. So he was telling me, you know, in the States, you guys make it so complicated. It's not that complicated. You make life so hard. It's actually really easy. Like if you're having fun and you're happy, then your life is good. You guys make everything so complicated because you want everything and you do these things that you hate doing because you feel like you have to do them. And I was like, I don't know why this guy was put in my life, but he's totally here for a reason. And I totally needed to hear everything he said. So I forget what your original question was, but uh, yeah, that made me come back from that job and basically throw in the towel and say, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to study coaching and I'm going to stick with it for the long run. That's awesome. So you've been coaching for how long now? Full-time a year, part-time about two years now. Did you, so you were still doing the financial advisor while you were doing the part-time coaching, just putting your foot into the door and kind of building. That's really cool to be able to kind of pivot like that from your, I guess, last job. Yeah. Well, it was interesting as well, because similar to the experience I had in the Air Force, when I told people I'm going to take a year off and they thought I was nuts. When I told people that I didn't want to be a financial advisor, they thought I was nuts. Cause they were like, the money's great. You could set yourself up. You could have this great life. And it was almost, actually, it was harder to quit that job than it was to leave the air force. So I, I dragged my feet for a whole year. I stayed there <laughs> and just dragged my feet for a whole year before I actually said, no, I gotta, I gotta be done. I just got to cut the ties. Um, I guess it was a bit of a safety net for me, if you will, in that sense. Yep. I, I have a ton of respect for that though. I mean, it is really, really hard to take the plunge and follow what you think or know to be right for you. And with any decision, you always have other people that are telling you it's the wrong thing to do. And I even think about any choice I've made in my life, even the ones that now, if I look back, I'm like, oh, that was the right choice. And I still had people tell me that was the wrong thing to do. Even like, oh, I want to go to the air, join the Air Force. Like, oh, you're going to die in a war, Brian, you know, or this is going to happen. Yeah. And, you're, and, and, and everybody always thinks they know everything. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely made me learn, hey, if someone's telling you, if they're that confident that they're able, they think they have the ability to tell you you're making a mistake, then they probably don't understand anything enough to tell you what to do. So... But all that to say, I have tons and tons of respect for people that follow what they really want to do and say, hey, I, like, I let this money thing kind of take care of itself because it's what I'm doing is not satisfying. So mm-hmm. that's, I don't know. Anyway, that's really, really cool. Yeah, it's it's hard, especially coming from the military where you're told where to live. You're told what job to do. You can easily lose sight of the fact that you do know what's best for you. It can be easy to fall into that trap that all these other people who aren't me know what's best for me because for the past, whether you stay in for five or 20 years, right, you've been told you've, you've got some external validation that the next move is the right move. So when you don't have that external validation anymore, there's this pull to seek it. But realizing you don't need it is so freeing. For sure. Well, so typically, you know, in the military, like you said, when it comes time for your next job or a next move, it's, Hey, it's a B or C, 
you're going to do one of these three things. Your quality of life as far as your healthcare, your your finances, none of that's going to really change. The only thing that's really going to change is what you're doing. And that's loosely still based on what you're already doing and where it's at. So for most people, it comes down to, well, where do I want to live? And even then, it's it's very, very limited. So it makes that decision process so much easier because, like you said, somebody's choosing for you. So mm-hmm. in the end, you're like, hey, do you want do you want a turkey sandwich, a ham sandwich, or a cheese grilled cheese sandwich? And it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe I want the steak over here. I have no idea. So being able to choose is almost overwhelming because, like you said, like all of a sudden you're in Colorado, you know, from California, yeah. like and it's almost terrifying having that much ability to pick something because it must feel like you're, you can be making the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you ever feel like that? Like the what you were choosing to do was terrifying, even though you knew that what you were already doing wasn't what you wanted to do. Yeah, totally. And Anytime I found myself, and I, I, I imagine that's why it took me so long to finally cut ties with my job in finance, because it feels very much like whatever you choose, you're locked into forever, right? There's no, there's not that, okay, this is a three-year assignment. There's no end date to your decision. There's no end date to that next job. There's no end date to that next move like there is when you're still in the military. So it can seem like, I got to get it right this time because I'm in it for the long haul. I'm in it forever. This is my job until I'm 65 and retiring. You can change after a week. Like if you get in there and a week into the job, you hate it. You can change. You can quit that job and move on to the next thing. So there's so many possibilities and so many opportunities and you're not locked into any of them. (laughs) Yeah. And that's okay. So did you find yourself when you got out of the military to start, that typical thing we all do where we start road mapping. Hey, this is what the next 20 years, this is the rest of my life. That's what I want it to look like. Or were you just finding yourself dabbling in something here and trying it out with that feeling? I mean, I don't try to say this, but did you plan out things like you do normally in the air force or? I did not. Yeah, <laughs> I did not. Not. Yeah. It was, it was good learning experience. I did not do that when I first got out. And then so I heard this piece of advice from someone. He said, and I'm going to paraphrase and butcher this, but basically ordinary people plan in years and extraordinary people plan in decades. So that was a light bulb moment for me. Like, you know, but being the feather floating along wherever the wind takes me, I was like, oh, I can have a plan and also it can change. So I can have this 10 year plan and this 10 year vision and also decide tomorrow that I want things in there to change. But the way I was doing it and just floating along, seeing wherever the wind takes me, I had no direction, no aspirations. And it was, it very much felt like I was lost. Once I realized that you can plan decades ahead and you're not locked into that plan, you can make changes along the way, that's when I really started to notice myself making progress because now I had intent. <laughs> yeah. And I think having that mindset definitely gives you the ability to understand a variety of things. And 
when we lock ourselves in really young to something for a really long time, you know, when you're 20, you might think you want to do this at 40. You have no idea the frame of reference of time of what 20 years of one of those, whatever job that maybe looks like. So it is good. It behooves you to be able to, hey, I'm going to do this for a little while, but always be curious and try something else. If you don't like that, okay, well, what else can I try out? And and then you build experience in that area as well. And then by the time you get to, like you said, having this kind of loosely based, well, what do I want my life to look like in 10 years? Now what do I want my job to look like in 10 years? You can still always keep what you want and what's important to you in sight. And mm-hmm. I think that's a better way to do it than just saying, okay, well, once I do this, then I'm going to do this school right after that. And once I do that school, I'm going to do this job for three years. It's like, you don't even know if you're going to like that. How do you yeah. take that choice, <laughs> you know? So I think we, we get very sucked into the um, the hyper-specialization and trying so hard to say, well, this is what I'm going to do forever. I'm going to be a cardiologist, and that's I'm going to love it. And you're like, well, you don't know that. You might hate it. So not saying we don't need yeah. doctors, but it's important <laughs> to, to figure that stuff out. So Yeah, definitely. Uh, and for me, and I imagine it's this way for a lot of people, the – the thought of starting over or making a career pivot when you're in your thirties or in your forties is intimidating because you're taking it best. You're essentially choosing to be back in the shoes of a beginner, but you're not, you're, you're too old to be a beginner, but you're never too old for anything. Yeah. Do you think that's kind of like the sunk cost fallacy? People think that I've already had all this time invested, so I might as well keep doing it even though. Totally. Yeah. Do you find that? So kind of switching to what you do now. I mean, do you find that mentality a lot with the people you coach do they are they scared or are they excited what's kind of the general vibe they give you yeah that's an interesting question so I don't find that they 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 have that mindset of, of sunk cost like I work with a lot of people who at 14 15 years they, they decide this isn't for me which is really inspiring to see um I do find that it's a, a common narrative that the possibilities and the choices are overwhelming and they've lost that creativity aspect. So when they think there's all these unlimited possibilities in front of me, it almost seems hopeless (laughs) because they've not had to be creative and choose in a long time. Um, So yeah, definitely. I find that is a very common story amongst them. So how do you kind of help them? Taylor, what because it is broad, how do you help them kind of narrow down what they do want to do or want to try to do? Yeah, I so the way I do it, I guess, a little bit unconventional. Um, I, I imagine one of the biggest pieces of that is the identity piece. So when you're floating around attaching yourself to job after job, trying to find the right fit, like I liken it to trying on jeans, right? Trying to find the right pair of jeans, trying to find the right job. And just without real intention, doing something that others find respectable or that you feel like you should be doing or you imagine others expect from you. Um, That identity being attached to a role or a job or any kind of fixed noun of an anchor point is where I think that all falls apart. So I start from the identity piece. And what do you want your life to look like 10 years from now? And what does a person who live that lives that life, what do they act like? What is the identity of that person in the how they act, in the what they, in the what kind of person they are? 
So describe the identity of the person that has this life that you want. So if you are a world traveler, or if you are a foster parent of 20 kids or whatever that is, like, what is the identity of this person? And what can you do today to live into that identity? It's like being process-based versus goal-based, which I'm a huge fan of. Hey, like if you want to be the person that, you know, loses 20 pounds, we'll be the person that exercises every day because that's probably Mm -hmm. what that person that looks like or that looks like that does. So try and just be a better Mm -hmm. person or be the person you want to be. I, that, that I really connect to that. So yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to run a 5k and then run a 5k and become a runner. Right. (laughs) Like you got to run, you got to be a runner to do the 5k. Exactly. And that's the whole yeah. point, right? Is to become the person you want to be, not the vein, not the vein on the surface thing of it. And so for you, for your story, you know, putting that into practice, what did you decide, Hey, this is what I want my life to look like or the person you wanted to be. What kind of, what, if you were to counsel yourself, how, what would, what did that look like? Ooh, that's a good question. Is that a tough question? It is a bit of a tough question. (laughs) It's a good one. I like it. Um, That the person, the life I envision is a very flexible, very free life where I'm the one making the decisions. I'm the one in control. No one's telling me where to be and when to be there. Um, That's always been the vision for me. So a person who has that freedom is very confident. A person that has that freedom accepts all of the things that they've chosen and decided to do in the past, owns their present and is confident in stepping out of their comfort zone to make that unconventional, uncertain future a reality. And was that difficult though? Kind of saying, Hey, this is what I want to be like and really taking that self stock and trying to develop those traits or what was that? Oh, yeah. Like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's, an ongoing process. So for me, it's something that I consciously wake up every day and make the decision to be that person. I know that if I wake up and just go through the motions, nothing's going to change. I'll be here in my house talking to you a year from now, right? Like nothing's going to change if I don't consciously make a decision to be that person that I want to be the one who has freedom, the one that can be talking to you from who knows where, uh, I don't know why Seattle comes to mind, but Seattle. Hey, let's do. I love Seattle, so no, let's right. Do any city I want to be in, any anywhere I want to be, right? Um, so for me, yeah, it's a conscious everyday thing. Yeah, and so just talking about becoming who you want to be and transitioning and the career stuff. Was there anything that shocked you that you felt underprepared for, just job wise, job market? You're like, wow, I really wish I would develop this skill earlier or this technical, or this getting the certificate, or whatever it may be, was anything like that? You're like, man, I really wish I would have started sooner. Honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is confidence in myself and understanding what I wanted. That job interviews were hard for me because I didn't understand that piece. And it was always, it was always me going into a job interview, trying to fit the role that I was interviewing for, rather than recognizing, okay, this is who I am. This is a role that would fit me. I can be myself as myself as I go into this job interview. It was always very 
very overwhelming for me, very stiff, very, okay, what is the person who has this job? What is that person? I got to pretend to be that person. So for me, that was a piece that was missing. I think we all are really well prepared to write a resume and apply for a job. It's when you get there and you got to be you. (laughs) That's what was hardest for me. That was a really good way to put it. Like you have to be you because it it can be scary at times. I don't know. Like it's, you have to have, like you said, that confidence of like people sometimes want to be you. Cause I mean, if you describe yourself, you know, if I was to say, Hey, I'm talking to this person and this is what they do for a living. I'm talking about you. They'd be like, wow, that's amazing. I wish I could do that. You know? So I'd say you've succeeded at becoming that person by just owning it, which is awesome. I think so. Super cool. Yeah. Um, so when you get for your clients, what do you have the hardest time getting them to do or what's that process like? I mean, obviously we talked about, Hey, find out like who you are, what you want and narrowing down what you want to do. But is there challenges to that? Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the biggest challenges is helping them recognize that they're worth putting themselves first because we come from this culture of service where, and there's a distinct difference between service and sacrifice, right? Service being I'm showing up as a full person so that I can give to other people, like kind of putting on your oxygen mask first, right? That idea. And then there's sacrifice where you're giving up all of yourself for the sake of other people. And so many of us get sucked into combining the two and assuming they're the same. So we show up and instead of serving, we're sacrificing and we forget how to put ourselves first. Even if that just looks like taking a lunch hour to go to the gym or leaving at four o'clock to go to the gym, right? That's taking time for ourselves. And through this culture where if you're not there for 12 hours, if you're not working harder than everybody else, you're not giving enough to the team. You're not giving enough to the mission we lose sight of how to put ourselves first. So when you're thinking about a job search and, okay, I've got a family to take care of, I've got bills to pay. It can be easy to be like, all right, all this stuff comes before me being happy. So convincing people to adopt this belief that I'm worth putting myself first is to me, the the number one piece of the puzzle. Do you work directly with any businesses? So when you counsel people, do you have contacts with different places to help them get placement, things like that? How does that process work as far as the actual job application, interview process? How hands-on are you with that part of it? No, so I I don't work with them in any type of the interview process, in any type of the application process. The extent of my role in helping them apply for a job is, you've been putting off writing your resume for three months. Why? <laughs> And digging into why is this such, why is this something that you've been procrastinating or avoiding for so long, right? What is that belief that's holding you back from doing this? What is that insecurity that you're holding on to that's keeping you from make, taking action and making moves? That's the extent of my role in that process. So you're like John Taffer from Bar Rescue, but for like your <laughs> life, like get in there. I'm going to help you out. Get your stuff together. That's, yeah. that's exciting though. I mean, I'm softer than him. <laughs> <laughs> You're not shaking them by the lapels, telling them what to do. So, 
No. How do you find most of your clients? Are you mostly referral based or? Um, Yeah, no, I keep it 100% referral based and I try to connect mostly with grads, honestly, from the different service academies because there's such a common experience there that we've all been through the same thing. We all have the same story. (laughs) Yeah. Is it kind of not like a broken record, but you hear them talk to you and you're like, yeah, I've been there. Like It's like hearing yourself speak a lot. It is. And I'm never not amazed at the common threads between the stories because we've all had challenges and we all feel like we can't admit that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. We all feel like we have to say, oh, it's been great. It's been wonderful. I've loved every second of it. (laughs) When you and I spoke earlier and I don't know, it was, it's interesting just talking to you and and hearing what you said, it's like hearing myself speak sometimes. And it's very reassuring to know, hey, other people have these thoughts. Other people want to do other things or they're not. Sh- they're just trying to figure out who they are. Because it's definitely, I feel like we all go through this quarter-life crisis or midlife crisis, whatever you want to call it, of trying to find out what you want to do forever or after what you're doing now. And I meet so many people that, they seem to have it figured out. At least they, they've put on this front that they know exactly, Hey, I'm going to do this. And once I, you know, retire, then I'm doing this and then it's going to be awesome. And I'm over here terrified just thinking, man, I don't, I'm so scared of what life looks like on either side of that. Cause again, I don't want to make the wrong choice, but it's reassuring to know other people have those thoughts because like you said, there is this, persona or this idea that we have to put on this persona of just being knowing exactly what our life looks like and i'm talking a lot but i like to say there's these two concepts the life is either a track mm-hmm. to some people or it's a open field mm-hmm. and the track is what most people are convinced by that they have to do that okay i'm gonna go to school and once i go to school i'm gonna get this high paying job Entry level, though, I'm going to work really, really hard. And then once I'm, I get promoted, then I'll do this. And then eventually I'll be have all this money and all the success. And then I'll be happy mm-hmm. versus living this open range of, okay, I'm going to do this for a while. And you know what? I want to try public speaking, so I'm going to try that. And then I'm going to try, hey, that didn't really work out, but I want to be a swim coach. I don't know. You just kind of move through things. You're probably going to be a lot happier, I think. So yeah, super long-winded. No, but you mentioned being process-oriented earlier, and I imagine the people who go through life in a process-oriented mindset are a lot more satisfied or a lot more fulfilled than the ones who go through it with this outcome-oriented mindset because the outcome happens once every 10, 20 years. (laughs) Yeah, it is definitely a complete mind shift. I say it's been been the biggest mind shift for me in the last year is to say, you know what, I'm going to become the person I want to be and have Mm -hmm. the habits that I want to have that that person would have. And that way, if the opportunity comes to do what I want to do, I'm ready to do that job, whatever that may be. Um, So it's definitely changed my framework of how I see the world. And I'm really glad that it's, I don't know, I feel a lot more free because I don't feel so tied to these career choices that I used to, I guess. Yeah. What do you think 
helped you make that mindset shift? So if we're, you know, it's a really good question. Um, so again, I am very happy with my life and where I am at. I just have always had a creative itch that I wanted to do. And I've always, um, wanted to do a little bit more for other people. So I kind of felt like I had this identity crisis and I was trying to, I've been on this journey to figure out who I am, what I want to do. And I started reading a lot. I was like, listen, I just want to read all the time and start learning as much as I can. And so I talk about this book all the time, but atomic habits. (laughs) Well, first it was, um, uh, the war of art was the first one. Okay. And, uh, it's a very short book. Highly recommend it. But that's a, like, Hey, like everyone has resistance to what they, they talk themselves about doing what they really want to do and just get over it. Basically cliff notes, very good book. And then I came across atomic habits in the last year. And that one's the one that really kind of like kicked it over the edge for me of just like, it's okay. Pick these things that you want to do and slowly build these habits up and be very focused on just the process and this cumulative process of becoming this. Because when everything goes haywire, you're still the person you want to be at the end of it, mm-hmm. right? So if I focus on my mind and meditate and I work out every day and I take care of my health and then you know, I get fired or laid off or whatever, I still have the knowledge that I built for myself. I still have the body that I built for myself and my good health that I, you know, yeah. so those are the reasons I was like, well, you know, just be process oriented. Mm-hmm. Then I have the freedom to kind of move without versus giving myself to a job and letting myself go and not taking care of myself. And all of a sudden it's, I've given my life up for this one mm-hmm. thing that I'm not even sure how, if it's that important to me in 10 years or 20 years. So really long answer and yeah that, that's kind of I, I love that answer though like especially since covid every client that i've talked to that has that is in that position of do i separate do i stay in you know i always ask what's your biggest concern like what is your biggest concern when you think about making this decision and since covid happened they all say the uncertainty the insecurity and i always say everything's uncertain. Everything's insecure. Just because it's it's just this illusion, right? In the military, we think, oh, we're going to have this job until we decide it's time for us to not have this job. But anything medical could happen tomorrow. Literally anything could happen and nothing is certain. Nothing is for sure. Nothing is guaranteed. Unless to your point, you're taking control of who you are as a person. And so no, I have no role in helping them find a job, but I do have a role in helping them find themselves because I think that is more important than anything else. How are you as a person and what, what do you do for yourself and for the people around you? And I think that is so much more important than anything else. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, is that, so what would, what advice would you give to somebody right now that's five years from separating or just starting their military career? It's such a, seems like such terrible advice, but figure out how to answer that question. Who am I? Right. You are the only thing that you have until you are dead. (laughs) That is the only guarantee is that you have yourself. 
So learn how to love yourself, learn how to forgive yourself, learn how to trust yourself, learn how to own every part of your own life, because that's the only thing you're ever guaranteed. Um, and again, I, I think so much of that has to do with what is, who is the kind of person that I want to be and what does that person do? And then adopting that identity. Have you found that you've kind of had to build your own brand of who you are as a person to kind of get that out there? And, and what's that process like as far as, you know, you found yourself now, how do I convey that to other people and own that? Yeah, that's again, a, a daily process for me. Um, for the longest time, I didn't even acknowledge the part of my story that had to do with being in the military. I didn't feel like I was worthy of being a veteran because I was never like firing a weapon or flying a plane. I was always in a support role. So I didn't feel like I had earned any of that part of my story. It didn't feel valid to me. So a big part of that for me was accepting that no matter what your story looks like, it's valid. And the same applies to me. And so, so when you think, when you talk about or ask about rather building my own brand as a person, the way I do that is again on a daily basis, just accepting everything about myself and not being, rather than not being afraid, being confident and communicating that to other people and being willing to share the imperfect parts of the story. Yeah. Well, that's a great segue because I was literally about to ask you. You uh, sent me some notes and you said perfectionism is something you really wanted to talk yeah. about. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So for, for me, and I imagine for a lot of people, and certainly for a lot of my clients, there's this perception of what the perfect story looks like, right? You go to the academy, you are whatever number one in this rank, number one in this, I don't even remember any of these things anymore, <laughs> but you're number one academically, physically, militarily, you're number, you're trying to be number one everywhere and you're trying to be perfect. And this pressure to always be perfect, we think that we can't make mistakes. So then when you segue into the civilian world and you're in that job that you hate, it seems like a failure when you say, I hate this job, I'm ready to move on because now it looks like a mistake and now it looks like a failure and none of those things are acceptable because perfect's the only thing that's acceptable. But perfect doesn't exist. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's that you're like a shaman. You got such good, so much wisdom. <laughs> that's really good stuff. <laughs> Must've yeah. been that month in Bali. That's it. Yeah. You really did connect <laughs> with the people there. You also mentioned compartmentalization mm -hmm. and it being the hardest part about transition. So why do you say that? I say that because, and again, going back to what I said in the beginning, I understand why military culture is this way. Cause there's a mission to accomplish and I get why some of these things are the way that they are. But one of the things being, you're not allowed to have feelings. You're not allowed to admit that you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed or sad or anything right? You don't cry. You don't express any kind of excitement or joy, or it's very much, there's this very small spectrum of emotions right in the center that are okay to express. And then anything on either extreme, you have to shut it down and you have to stuff it down. And someone explained it to me this way, which I've always loved this metaphor 
when you're constantly stuffing your feelings down, your emotions down, it's like beach balls and you're trying to hold them underwater. And you can only do that for so long before they all come like flying out of the water. So the reason I imagine the transition is so hard is because there are so many emotions involved. There's you're grieving part of your life, right? You're grieving this experience and this lifestyle. And you're not allowed to say, I feel grief over this change. And you're not allowed to say, I feel shame at wanting to leave. You're not allowed to say, I feel guilty. There's all these emotions you're not allowed to express. So you're just constantly shoving them down. And then you get out and they're going to come back up. (laughs) They're going to come back up. I imagine there's a way to teach people how to get the job done, get the mission done, and also encourage them to express themselves and to experience what they're feeling. Yeah. So with you're so wise. And (laughs) if somebody wanted to find uh, your services, how would they find you? Yeah. So the best place to find me is on Instagram and Facebook. I'm on Instagram at my last name. It's just at Ryan Dance. And then I'm on Facebook at Empowered and Resilient Coaching. So if, if you had any um, any resources that you want to add or anything that you think would you know help people kind of just get on the right path or that if they're feeling lost, that you could kind of help them, guide them, what would you recommend? Oh, that's a good question. Okay, so I read this book during quarantine. This is just the first thing that's coming to mind because it's one of the most recent books that I read. Um, during quarantine, Glennon Doyle, are you familiar with her? No. So no. her videos kept popping up on my Facebook page. I was like, all right, I got to check this lady out, see what she's all about. And it just so happened that she also just re- had released uh, a book during the time that we were on lockdown here in Colorado. And the book is called Untamed. So who is she, though? Oh, gosh, that's a good. She's an author. Okay. Um, she's uh, <laughs> okay. she, she's an author. Uh, she's married to Abby Wambach, the soccer player. Okay, so uh, she's an author, I believe a speaker of some sort, uh, but she wrote this book, Untamed, and it's all about accepting the wild parts of yourself, the untamed parts of yourself, except, uh, accepting and expressing the wild nature within you. And for me during quarantine, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Uh, and I've recommended it to everyone I've talked to since reading it. So that's the first thing that comes to mind um, as far as getting in touch with who you are, but recognizing more importantly that it's okay to be all of these things that aren't okay to be. It's like you're bougie. Yeah. Classic ratchet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if no. you're into TikTok. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I can't help it. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm glad you brought up books though. Cause I, that sounds interesting. A lot of what you've mentioned really reminds me of the book I'm reading right now. And I highly recommend it to you. It's called a, it's called range. And have you heard of the sports gene by any chance? It's the same yeah. author that <laughs> wrote the sports gene. And okay. a lot of it has to do with exactly what we're talking about, about a lot of people that later in life are deciding to change careers or pivot or do something that they really want to do and how specifically even military uh, personnel have kind of leg up because of the different things they've gotten to see and the different experiences. And instead of looking at it, like you said, that people always have this fear like, Oh man, I'm underprepared. 
you know, I'm behind. Mm -hmm. No, you're actually use that experience as a platform to say like, look who I am, look what I've done and know it. Now I know who I am and I know these skills I have and you should be confident that you can do these things. And mm -hmm. so it's been, it's an awesome book. I highly recommend you check it out if you get the chance, but it's been really good. Okay. So that's my recommendation I'll check it out. for this one. I try to recommend a book every, every, every chat, that's a, but that's a good one. It reminds me, I was having a conversation with a client of mine earlier this week and she said that a big breakthrough moment for her was when she recognized that she was letting her military, her past self. So her military self, her pilot self strangle her current self. So I was all these cool things in the past. I was all these amazing things in the past. And now I'm just, and I say this in heavy air quotes, right? Yeah. Just a stay at home mom, or I'm just in the reserves. Now I don't compare, I don't measure up to who I was. She said a big breakthrough for her was when she could use these past experiences as more of a launching off point rather than a, I'll never measure up to that. Yeah. And that's, I think it's so powerful though, once you can figure out how to channel that and say, this is who I am and I and just own it and, mm -hmm. and use that like that. So I think that's really, really cool. So Definitely. Yeah. I'm going to check out this book. Yeah. I think I'm going to, well, I don't know if would untamed be too. I don't know if it'd apply to me. I don't know. It definitely speaks to the, the feminine, <laughs> but it's great. <laughs> it's really good. Okay. Awesome. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. One more time, if you want to plug just your website, full, full thing. Yeah. So on Facebook, Empowered and Resilient Coaching. And then on Instagram, it's just at my last name, R-H-Y-N-E, dance. Perfect. And thanks again for being here. I really, really appreciate it. So uh, if you have anything else to add or any last key summary points to throw in there, this is my my last slide of my PowerPoint. What would you add? Yeah. Take your power back. Yeah, I like it. That's a good one to end yeah. on. All right. All right. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. All right, everybody. That's the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to support Elisa, you can find her website at empoweredandresilient.com. Also, if you want to share your story, please reach out at blackboxrecordingspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time. See ya.